Galatians chapter 5. It's where we're going to begin. Um, we've, as I said, we begin to continue to talk about having a hunger for Jesus. I, uh, I spent this week, Monday through Thursday, half a day Monday, two full days, and then a half a day Thursday, as I said, at Prayer Summit with about 36 pastors. And um, there was a Mennonite brother there, and there was uh, some Nazarene brothers there, and, and had a great time uh, just seeking the Lord and praying and, and uh, just real focused prayer time. I went there hungry and I left hungry. I went hungry and I left hungrier, if that makes any sense. You know, we took communion last week, and even communion, I, I used to make the joke when I was a kid, Mom, I wish they'd give us more. I'm hungry. You get that little bitty cracker thing, and then you had the, the juice. I, I would like a big piece of bread and a giant glass of juice if I could. But you see, that's not what communion's for. It's to give you a taste of. As a reminder of, but there's also, you come in hungry, and you get a taste of something that doesn't fill you up. You leave hungrier than before you tasted it. Sometimes that's how appetizers work at restaurants. And I shouldn't talk so much about food this late, right? But God, He did a work in me this week, and out of the, the um, really three full days, I guess, if you take the two halves and put them together, three full days of, of focused prayer, I, I think I spent probably, I think, 27 hours just in prayer and meditation, Scripture reading, um, in, in you talk about rejuvenate somebody. It's powerful. And yet people have this tendency to come into the church and, and just, they don't pray on their own, they don't read on their own, they don't seek God on their own. They come to church and expect a preacher to do it for them. And uh, the, the crude example I always have used is, you know, I, everybody comes in like baby birds with their mouths open wanting me to regurgitate something for them to eat that I ate this week in my time and not knowing that the worm tasted better the first time around. Right? When I took 12 and a half pages of notes, uh, just the Spirit of God speaking to me, that's pretty intimate. It's pretty powerful with scriptures that ministered to me. I want you to continue to be hungry for the Lord. How hungry are you for the Lord today? I want to talk to you about hunger pains. Has anybody ever had hunger pains before? Everybody's saying, yes, pastor, it's a little after 11, you better get on it. I will. I want to talk to you about fasting. I already shared with you that Jamie had told me that this last week, um, before they come here next week, before I had talked to him and even told him what my plan was, he said that their group, the, their ministry, school of ministry, uh, the 15 young people he's bringing with him, uh, are fasting this week, a seven-day fast preparing for their ministry next week with us. And he didn't even know that this week I had planned to speak on fasting and challenge you to fast. Uh, I'm not challenging you to do a seven-day fast. I know that there are some that are not able to fast very much because of medications and so on and so forth, but there are. you'll find out that there are some things that we can fast. Who has read their homework assignments this week? Give me a show of hands. Look at you. You're all doing good, but I will say there are a few that have tapered off. Catch up with us. Today is chapter 21, and uh, next week we'll be finishing up chapter 28 and moving into the book of Acts while, while Jamie is here with us. I thought I was the only one coughing in the house today. There's a whole bunch of people coughing. Norma, keep your mask on. She's Norma, bless her heart. 
If anybody's got any reason not to be at church, Norma does. Just uh, having another chemo treatment and she's got herself all covered up. She wants to be in the presence of God with us. I can appreciate that. I can appreciate that. Galatians 5. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. I want to talk to you first about fasting in its connection with helping bring clarity amidst the holy conflict that we are caught in. I want to talk about this holy conflict for a minute. We are all living at conflict. We see that here, that we have spirit and we have flesh, and that they're at war with one another. Uh, how many of you know that sometimes you're like Paul and he says, the things I don't want to do, I do, and the things I, don't, I do want to do, I don't do, and all this kind of stuff. How many of you know that there's a holy conflict? Amen. That my spirit wants me to do the things of heaven and my flesh wants me to do the things of this world. It wants me to focus on the things of this world and, and, uh, and we live in this, this, this life, this body to where we have influences. Uh, we have multiple influences. You're going to have three influences in your life that are going to draw you or lead you or speak to you. One is God. The Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts, leading us by the Word of God, uh, ministering to our conscience, whatever it may be. The second uh, influence in your life will be self. That's your flesh. That's who you are, uh, who I want to be. The third one is, is obviously a demonic influence. So there's only three influences in your life that you're going to have. They're going to try to lead you, distract you, do whatever it is that, that you need to have done in your life. Well, obviously, God is easy to discern because God is always going to line up with His Word. Amen? God is God. He lines up with His Word. And God will always discourage self. God will say, deny yourself. In other words, saying the self-man cannot be the strong man out of the three. God will say, follow me, obey me, deny yourself. Then you have the self-voice. It's the hardest one to discern and recognize because self-voice reasons everything. And he even uses God to reason what he thinks is right or wrong. True? Oh, let me just stay here for just a second. Do you know that today, this conflict of self, God, and Satan in our lives today causes us, this is part of the words that, that I've, I received from the Lord this last week, causes us to view life through a dirty lens. Has anybody ever wore dirty glasses before? I know when I was a welder, uh, I know Big John's experienced this, I know when I was a welder that after a while you got to change your lens. It gets so dirty that you, you can't see very good or anything else. There, there comes a time in our life that we view this world through a skewed, dirty lens of sin, a lens that has been tainted by sin. You say, what do you mean? Well, for example, uh, the self-man in this life today has, is viewing their sexuality through a lens that is tainted by sin. And they start to say that it doesn't matter if a man marries a man or a woman marries a woman or a man lays with a man as a man lays with a woman. All the things that the scripture says an abomination. Today there are people that will view that through a lens that they've reasoned through sinful mindset. Does that make sense? There are also people that will say, well, uh, you know... Sexual immorality as far as uh, marriage goes or as far as anything else, it doesn't matter because I love this person. You know, and so this, this skewed lens of everything that we see, our morals, our character, can be skewed by sin because our sin, our flesh, is a sinful part of our life. It's influencing us. So we have God, 
We have God who, who follows the Word of God, who, who discredits self. Self always builds self up and sometimes uses God to do it. Okay? Then you have the influence of, of, of a satanic voice, a demonic voice that speaks into our lives. It's easy to pick out because it's always contrary to God and it always builds self up. So God doesn't want self to be built up. The enemy wants self to be built up. Why? Because when self is built up, self becomes God. So we're stuck in this holy conflict, and God's saying through Paul here that we live in this, and that we cannot follow the sinful nature, that we need to follow the Spirit and to keep in step with the Spirit. Jeremiah 17 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. So we have to get to a place to where we are afflicting our flesh, that we are overcoming our flesh, and that we are allowing the voice of God to, to our, our, ourselves to be sensitive to the voice of God. Well, what if we're going to discern the heart of, of, of man, we have to discern it through the Word of God. And it says in Galatians 5, 19, verses 19 through 21, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. They're obvious. What's obvious about the acts of sinful nature? Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. The word this morning was to come out from among them. The word this morning was to, to receive daily what God has for us. Why? So that we will be set apart. These things are never to be rationalized. These things are never to be rationalized. And you tell me, have they been rationalized in our culture? Sexual immorality, yes. Impurity, of course. Debauchery, which is excess and everything, of course. Idolatry, yes. Witchcraft. I won't mention any names, but their initials are Harry Potter. Hatred. <laughs> discord, jealousy. You know, people, if you look through this, you will see where our culture has listened to self so much that we've exalted it and we've rationalized all this stuff away. That in the church today, there are people that are okay in their condition with all of these things because they're looking through a dirty filter of what this world really is. Then when we can, when we can shut out the self-life, when we get to a point to where the Spirit of God has enabled us to overcome this, He, he does that by doing this in, in verses 22 through 25, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. We have to crucify. Now crucifixion is, is an ugly thing. How many of you have seen the passion of the Christ? It's not. Crucifixion's an ugly thing. And crucifying our flesh does not feel good. It's not fun. But it is something that needs to happen. I can remember, I can remember that, that when I was a kid, <laughs> the sinful nature took over sometimes. The self-life was pretty important. And sometimes the belt would be used to drive him far away. Sometimes detentions and expulsions. Uh, three day, I guess not an expulsion, a three, three day thing out. And I didn't even hit the kid. Uh, sometimes the self-life, I was defending myself. Doesn't make it right. We rationalize through a dirty filter. 
There are times where our sinful nature gets the best of us, isn't there? And we can think we're right and we can think it's fun, but the truth of the matter is, is that it comes down to a simple principle of sowing and reaping. Turn to Galatians 6 now. Just flip over to Galatians 6. Now, we live in Covington, Indiana, in the surrounding areas. Most of you drove by a field on the way to the church. If you lived in town and drove or walked to church, you still walked by a garden. Right? Most of you. We understand sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping is a simple concept. Anything worth reaping is work sowing. Anything not worth reaping is fun sowing. Isn't it? Eh, we'll make sense of it here in a second. Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now there's some things here I want us to grasp. Uh, sowing dandelions is fun. Has anybody ever sown dandelions before? Yes, you have. Okay, before, there's like seven hands that went up. Has anybody ever done this? Has anybody sown dandelions before? Yeah, we all have. It's fun sowing dandelions. Everybody loves to sow dandelions. My kids, you get mad and say, I'm going to kill the stupid dandelions. Oh, don't kill the dandelions. Let's just say, but dad, they're beautiful. I said, and they pop up those white things. Oh, those are so fun to blow. And then I say, Lord, now I know how they're all over my yard. <laughs> you know, things, our, our sinful nature is like dandelions. It's fun to sow, but it's not fun to reap. Hear what I'm saying to you this morning. When it comes to our sinful nature, it's fun to sow. It's fun to act up. I, I told him this morning, I could write a book on the stuff that we did to the neighbor people. At our house, Roy and Marjorie Ricketts, we hounded them, drove them crazy. I could write a book and it would be hilarious. Don't let your children read it, though. You know what I mean? It was fun, but it's never sin is pleasurable and fun for a season. But the harvest you reap is not fun. What are you getting at? Everybody wants to sow, sow wild oats, but nobody wants to reap a harvest of those oats that they sow. You know, for, for, the, for the young person that, let's just say, is, is uh, committing an act of sexual immorality in the backseat of a car, that may be fun and pleasurable for a moment, but, but, but at the very least, it's going to bring maybe a broken heart, some guilt, uh, but, but at the very worst, it could bring maybe a pregnancy, or even worse than that, a sexually transmitted disease, or even, depending on the disease it brings, it can cause you to be sterile or even dead. You see, the moment was fun. But reaping the harvest is not. Well, let's go out and party. We'll go out and drink some alcohol. We'll go to the bar. We'll do whatever. You know, it's beer 30. Let's go. Well, yeah, it's probably pretty pleasurable to hang out with the dudes and have a few cold ones, throw some back, have some great conversation, laugh, get a little bit inebriated. And you get in the car, at the very least, I guess, at the very least that, that, that harvest, what it could bring forth maybe, is, is maybe a hangover and some, some maybe some sickness in, in how you feel. But at its worst, you know, you could possibly kill somebody on your way home. Turn into an addiction, a bondage that destroys your life all through. Listen, sowing the seeds of sinful nature is fun in the sowing process. There's not a whole lot of work at, at, at sowing dandelions and raising weeds, is there? You don't have to cultivate 
those. You don't, have to, you don't have to fertilize them. They come up naturally. That's our sinful nature. And then the other side of it is, is sowing to the Spirit. And the Scripture says that, that uh, if we don't grow weary in well-doing, we will reap a harvest. Now, weariness. There is no weariness in sowing dandelions, but there is weariness in sowing something that's worth harvesting. Can I get an amen? For those that have dealt with farming, those of you that have had to plant gardens or whatever, when I dig in my garden and I plant it, even though it didn't turn out this year, but I dig in it hoping for a harvest. I grew all kinds of weeds in my garden this year and very few little tomatoes. And I worked. You dig and dig and dig in a garden, you fertilize, you plant, you cultivate, you water, you do all this stuff. Why? You can get weary in doing all of it. You don't want to go pull weeds. But you realize if I don't do this, I'm not going to have a harvest. That's how spiritual things are. That's why farmers go out and they work the ground and till and work and toil over it so that they can have a harvest. They do it with hopes of a harvest. See, these are the two sides. Our sinful nature, we sow to, we, we, we reap a bad harvest. In our spirit man, we have to work at what we sow at that, which brings us to fasting. There's a weariness in fasting, folks. There's a weariness in, in daily devotions, in, in disciplining yourself to work at seeking and pursuing Christ. Well, Pastor, God, Pastor Bob, you, you reach a level of holiness, and, and once you get to a certain point, it's no longer work and discipline. It's just, oh, the presence of God. Is so, no, 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 shut your mouth. That's how the bald spot got here, okay? I pull my head into the prayer closet. I shove my head in the Word of God, all right? You have to. It's work. It's effort. And, and yes, there's seasons of great hunger, and there's seasons where I want to pursue God, but then there are other seasons you're lazy. If all of us were honest, there's seasons that we just get fat and lazy spiritually. The purpose of fasting. There's many, many purposes for it, and we're going to cover them really quick. But fasting in its greatest purpose is to deny ourselves, to put self in its rightful place so that we can become sensitive to hear the word of God. It's that simple. Fasting, denying of ourselves so that we can be sensitive to hear the voice of God. So fasting is an important part of sowing spiritual seed into our lives. It could be defined as the humbling of the soul, a turning away from the things of the world, and directing the spirit toward heaven. I want to list five things quickly, and I won't spend very long on each, any of them. Five things <coughs> that would be appropriate, uh, where fasting would be appropriate in our lives. Number one, fasting uh, will occur when we have a desire for a personal hunger for God to return. Uh, those lazy seasons, those times where you've maybe you've gotten lazy in your devotional time, your prayer time, and, and you haven't really sensed the presence of God in your life, and you, you, you start to feel a hunger for Him again, that is a really, really good time to fast. Now, we know that in the earliest fast, it was established by God through Moses for the Day of Atonement. All of Israel was to afflict their souls, it says, and uh, not work and to not eat and all of these things. But I want you to know this, that if you are going to fast, it's got to be driven by a hunger to know Christ. It can't be just a ritualistic thing. Hear me what I'm saying. Anything spiritual we do can become a ritual and mindless. Fasting should not be one of those things. It should be something we do regularly. But it's something that we should do it with a purpose. I'm going to read this through really quick. Isaiah 58. Actually, write that down and go home and read it, just for time's sake. Isaiah 58. Write that down, go home and read it. It talks about the fact that Israel 
was not serving God. They, they would go and fast and do things and they would exploit one another and they would still strike each other and fight. And the hungry was not being fed. The poor was not being clothed. You're fasting and all this stuff and you're wondering why your prayers aren't being answered. We talked about that a week or so ago that our prayers and our fasting has got to be backed up with obedience. Okay, So if you're hungry for the things of God and you're going to pursue God and you're going to set aside time to fast and pray and seek His face, then you have to follow up with obedience to what He says. Amen? Secondly, fasting will occur when we desire sensitivity to the leading of the Spirit. Fasting will occur when we desire a sensitivity of the leading of the Spirit. Now, the hunger, the stirring of the hunger, saying, God, I want more, has got to follow into the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives. If you're repentant and you simply long for more revelation and a more intimate walk with Christ, fast and seek Him and see what He does in your life. An example of this is Luke 2. It's on the screen. Verses 36 and 37 says, There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Now, now, remember the Bible says that she was 84 and very old. Pastor Bob did not say that. Just in case. Oh, come on, loosen up. <laughs> this lady was a, was a, a widow who had been, been stuck there at the, the, the temple and worshiping and praying and seeking God. She had lost her husband and she had committed herself to, she needed affirmation. She needed the care and love. And what she did was, is she stayed there and she sought God. And we see where fasting and prayer were a part of her life on a regular basis. And what is this in Luke chapter 2? What is it that's happening right there? Simeon was working there and, and the Lord had spoken to Simeon and said, you're, you're not going to die before you see the Messiah. And Simeon goes, I can go to the grave now. But then later, here comes this precious little widow woman who's loved the Lord and he blessed her and said, here's my chosen one. You say, what's my point? God will honor us when we afflict ourselves for him. When we humble ourselves. When we fast and pray and seek his face. If we do not grow weary in well-doing, we will reap a harvest. She wanted insight. She wanted revelation from God. And she was getting up there in years. She was 84 years old. And he said, look. He said, come here. Come out in the other room. I want to bless you. Powerful. You see, it's important to fast and pray. Uh, most people don't know this, but uh, our prayer partners were birthed out of a book called uh, Prayer Partners or something like that. Partners in Prayer. Is that what it was? Anybody remember Partners in Prayer? We got that. Pastor Ron gave us that book on the board when he was still here, and, and that book stirred my heart. And uh, we didn't have prayer partners at the time or anything, and I didn't know what to do. I just said, Pastor Ron, can I be your prayer partner? I want to pray with you. And every Tuesday for that year before he left, up to the time he left, I shouldn't have prayed with him. He heard from the Lord and left. That wasn't a good thing. But anyway... I was praying with him. I would come in every Tuesday. I would take my lunch break from the shop and I would fly over here and I would pray for about 35 to 40 minutes and then I would get in my car and leave again. I would fast every Tuesday with Pastor Ron and Pastor Regan. We would sit in the office together and pray together. Do you know that I grew so much in that time period? Do you know, do you want revelation and sensitivity of the Holy Spirit to lead and guide? Do you know that it was that time period where I was being developed and prepared for what I am standing here before you doing today? through a time of fasting and prayer. 
Thirdly, fasting should occur before major decisions so we can discern the voice of God. The early church fasted before everything they did when it became to an early decision. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 says, In the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. Listen, what that's saying to us this morning. They were all gathered together in a setting, in a Pentecostal setting, in a, in, in a house probably, worshiping and praying and seeking the Lord. And, and somebody speaks out prophetically and says to them, hey, look, we, we need to set aside Barnabas and Saul to do the work which I've called them. In other words, you're going to have to go now. You know, we had prophetic words given this morning. Had there been points of obedience in those prophetic words telling the church that we need to do this or that, or Pastor Bob needs to leave the pulpit, how many of you know that we need to turn around and fast and pray and make sure that's a word from the Lord? We've got to test the spirits. We've got to test to see what's being said. And that's what it said. They were told in a, in a prophetic word, and then they fasted and prayed some more. And after they fasted and prayed, they put hands on them and sent them off and did what it was that needed to be done. How many of us know that with major decisions in our lives, that we need to pray and seek the Lord. Before you buy that house, before you buy that car, before you move, before you take that job, I don't care how much they're going to pay you. You better pray and fast and seek God before you take it. Amen? Because sometimes it can be a trap and a snare of the enemy. Have to be careful and be prayerful. I have a friend that... uh, I was with this, this week at Prayer Summit. He's a pastor. And I did not know this happened to him. I was floored. He was dealing with some issues with it because it had stirred up some fears in him. But he was in Haiti the day of the earthquake. He was in Port-au-Prince. And, uh, he, and he was with a missionary down there doing some missions work. And they were in a, in a cab to go to their motel that they had made reservations for him in. And they were headed there. And this missionary kind of jumped and said, hey, let's not go to that one. Let's go to this other one on the other side of town. And the driver said, okay, and turned. And my friend looked at the missionary and kind of did this, and he went, put his hands up, shrugged his shoulders, said, I don't. Just felt impressed that they needed to change. Obviously, later that day, while they were in their motel, the earthquake hit. And the motel they were going to collapsed to the ground, killing everybody in it. The motel they were in was one of two that were still standing. A split-second decision like that, the leading of the Holy Spirit, can protect us. You know, you don't go on a missions trip without prayer and fasting. And thank God that he had been, and thank God that this missionary was sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit to the point to where they said, all of a sudden, I I don't feel right about it. Let's go over here. You see, if you want decisions to be made in your life, if split-second decisions like that are important, how much more are the ones that we're aware of that are affecting our entire family or our church? How many churches... uh, I've been guilty of this. There's been times we've made decisions without good prayer and fasting. Where are my deacons in the room? Hold me accountable before we make major decisions with prayer and fasting. We must have prayer and fasting so that we can hear sensitively the Spirit of God. Two more. 
quickly. Fasting will occur when we desire an increased faith and spiritual authority. Remember Jesus went with his disciples up on the Mount of Transfiguration. There they saw him transfigured before them. He shone his light. They heard the voice of God, saw Moses and Elijah. And they come off the mountain. And, and as it always is, when you come off the mountaintop, something happens. A little demon-possessed boy and his disciples couldn't, pass, couldn't, couldn't cast out the demon. They said, why not? And what was the answer Jesus told them? Number one, first and foremost, because you have so little faith or because of your unbelief. And then he turns to him and says, because some of these only come out by what? Prayer and fasting. There are certain, there's a certain level of spiritual power and authority in our lives that come about when we afflict ourselves, when we humble ourselves, when we humble ourselves before God, when we, we pray and we fast and seek His face. Listen, what is it in your life that's been reoccurring that you can't seem to get rid of? Has it been a reoccurring sin? Has it been a bondage in your life that's been reoccurring? I would encourage you to begin to, begin to pray and fast and seek God and allow Him to break that bondage in your life. There's authority that comes with that as well. Lastly, prayer and fasting occur when we are carrying a burden for others. I'm reminded what took place on Esther's day. The evil Haman was coming in to destroy and was going to kill the Jews. And Esther, in, in her love, realizing that she was put there from Mordecai's words for such a time as this, this is what she sends to Mordecai. And Esther sent a reply to Mordecai in Esther 4, Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. And I and my maids... Uh, will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Now we know that Esther was successful. Esther called out for prayer, say, I need you to be praying for me and fasting for me. Listen to me real close. When you have a burden for somebody and something, it will drive you to your knees. Amen. Esther said, I realize they're going to kill my people. She was safe. She was there at the king's house. They nothing going to happen to her. But she stepped out and she said, we need to pray and fast about this, that God would intervene. Who is it that you need to be praying and fasting for? Pastor, my son, my daughter, my, my niece, my nephew, my, my friend across the street, my parents, whoever it is, you say they need a breakthrough in their life. The enemy's got them and is just destroying their life. You need to humble yourself, church, and fast and pray and begin to believe God and intercede on their behalf. Who is it that, that even though they won't call you, they're not going to call you up and, and, and beg for you to pray for them and fast. You, by their actions, can see their cry for help. By their actions, that is their cry for help. That's them saying, please fast and pray for me. Please fast and pray for me. I remember Paul said that he had a burden for his people to the point to where he would even give himself up if he were able to for them. If Amber comes, I'm going to close this out real quick. I'm going to challenge you to fast. Has anybody ever really fasted in here before? I mean, you've, you've fasted. Listen, I don't want you, I'm not telling you have to go on a seven-day fast. If you feel led to do that, I'm asking you to find a point of something to fast about or something to fast. You say, well, what do I fast? There's a couple of different things. Obviously, fasting is always connected with food scripturally in the Bible. Uh, you know, you give up food to seek the Lord. I wouldn't encourage you just to give up food for giving up food's sake. We're not asking you to be an anorexic bulimic. We're asking you to seek Jesus. Okay? To take that time that you would normally eat and say, Lord, I am going to suffer this time for you. I'm going to set it aside and I'm going to pursue you. It's so my lunch at work, my dinner at home, whatever it may be, my breakfast, or maybe all three, or maybe all three for a day or two. I don't care how you do it. That is one avenue of fasting. Obviously, at its root is food. Now, connected with the food is more than just 
uh, eating. At the time of fasting, we read about in the Bible, it was their life substance. Okay? It's their life substance. There weren't a whole lot of luxuries. Nobody had Xbox. Nobody had Sony PlayStation. Nobody had the internet or iPhones or, or anything like that. They didn't have a television. They didn't have movie theaters. All right? they, they didn't have a ton of luxuries. Their eating was their life source, their life substance, their fellowship with man, and a little bit of luxury involved. I get to eat. When we start looking at it in that light, that's a big sacrifice. Some people say, well, you can do the Daniel fast, not eat meat. Well, that's fine too. But in Daniel 1.8 it says, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Defile himself with the food. You have to realize that it's not just that Daniel's, Daniel was a vegetarian. It's that the meat was being sacrificed to idols. They were in Babylon. They were in a foreign country. The meat was being sacrificed to idols. It was not a kosher meat that was approved by God's word. It wasn't going to glorify him. It probably still had the blood in it. And it maybe wasn't even possibly coming from like maybe a hog or something that they don't have that was as a clean food. So Daniel said, I'm, I, I don't want to touch the food because even if it is kosher, it may have been mishandled and unclean and I don't want to defile God, myself before God. So the context of it is, is not just the meat. It was the thing that was defiling him. Okay? Now, if you want to, if you want to fast meat, that's fine. That's still an affliction. Can I get an amen? Because somebody in this general area likes meat. All right? But, but if that's what you're going to give up, that's fine. But we look here. It, it says the things that defile him. And in more, probably in a better context of what a Daniel fast is, is Daniel fasted himself from the things of the world that were defiling him. What is it that's defiling you? Is it your television? Is it the books you read? Is it, is it social media? Is it, is it the internet? What, what is it? Because our culture is full of luxuries that defile. Amen? Our culture is, is full of fine meats that defile. The point of interest there would be to stop and say, Lord, what is it that, is, that I'm allowing too much in me that I need to fast? And here's, here's what it is. Whether it's food, whether it's uh, something in that context of something evil that's defiling me because I, I've given too much time to it, it's become a God in my life. Here's the promise we have. Daniel 1, 16. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. These four young men, gave God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time, by... by uh, the time set by the king to bring them in. The chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, which was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they entered the king's service in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in this whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. You tell me, is there a blessing when a person will set themselves apart and not defile themselves. It will fast and pray and seek his face. I want to challenge you this week to fast and pray and to seek the Lord's face. Next week, Jamie's going to be here with his group. And we've been building up to this for four weeks. We've been planning this. It was, an, it was uh, orchestrated by God when it came about to begin with. And I'm believing for healings. 
I'm believing for the miraculous to take place. I'm believing for bondages to be broken. But here's, here's our role in all of this. We have to come, sen- come to this place sensitive, prepared, and ready to hear from the Lord. We should do it every week. But bless God, if we can get it a few days out of the year, I'll take what I can get. I want you to go home. And this afternoon, this evening, I know the kids are going to be here doing their thing, but many of us are not going to be here. I want you to take this evening, I want you to just stop and pray. I want you to be in the Word and be prayerful and say, Lord, what is it that I should separate myself from this week? What is it that I should fast? What is it that I should afflict myself with so that I would humble myself before you and hear from you and and, and walk away with the blessings that Daniel and his friends had? If every believer walked away with the things that Daniel and his friend had, friends had, how powerful would the body of Christ be in America today? Stand with me if you will.